Welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our Woody Allen retrospective right here on PlanetTyro.com. I am your host, Donald Wonder, and I'm joined once again by my co-host in this venture, Simon Rad. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. On this episode, we're taking a trip into the future. Oh, yeah, boy. You're damn right. If you missed our last video, though, we actually spoke about Woody Allen's sketch comedy anthology movie, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex, Were, Af- were Afraid to Ask, the longest <laughs> the longest title name of, of his whole movie collection, without a doubt. If you're on YouTube... I'm gonna put this. I put the podcast on the screen, and you can click the card in the top right corner that will take you back to that recording. If you're on Android or on a podcast, or you're listening to it through your iPhone or what have you, I'm gonna leave a link in the description if you want to check out all our previous recordings, all our future recordings. There's a playlist for your listening pleasure, and however you're listening to this, whether it's on Android, iOS. All your podcast apps should be able to find us. We're on Stitcher Radio as well. So there's no, you know, YouTube, non-YouTube. You can reach us. We made sure you can get our content every which way. Now, before we start, we do like to give our general warning. Even though we're going through all the Woody Allen movies, we don't want to ruin the first-hand experience for you. We would prefer you watch these movies beforehand, then come and listen to this discussion afterwards. That way, you kind of in on what we're getting on on. But if you've already seen the movie and you don't care about spoilers, then you're in the right place. We're going to go, move on ahead, and I'll let Simon give us the title and the year for this this next movie, and then we're just going to keep going. So we're looking at Sleeper from 1973. Uh, Woody Allen's first real outing into the sci-fi genre. That is correct. And this movie is a fan favorite. Actually, this is one of the movies non-Woody Allen fans have seen. And I'm, I think there's a few reasons for that. But I just want to say that I know people that have seen this movie generally. Non-Woody Allen fans, just normal moviegoers. Most people, this is the one that sticks out. And even if you look at the cover, which will... The cover of the DVD, especially in the, the European regions, it has an iconic part of the movie, which is Woody Allen dressed up as a robot, which we'll get to. But just that uh, that that's picture alone, you see it online. Oh, yeah, I know that movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a classic plot, once again, reused. Anybody who's familiar with a lot of sci-fi tropes already knows this today. But even back in the day, it's basically the Flash Gordon story. Woody Allen plays a man who was uh, frozen in a time capsule for 200 years, and he wakes up in the future. He was frozen in 1973, and roughly we're in the post-apocalypse 200 years in the future. Right from the get-go, the moment he wakes up, he realizes that even though the world's technologically advanced, there's plenty of wrong with the government, and he quickly gets involved in this scheme by some underground organization that solely depends on him, a man from the past who's completely unregistered and off the records to basically offset the system and liberate the oppressed like you said this is a this idea has been done to death at the time though you know 1973 sci-fi in the 70s early 70s was coming to, star wars was coming down the pipeline as well i think one down of the, the pipeline yeah, yeah true i think one of the reasons why this movie was so loved as well all the little sci-fi movies that were on at the time as it was a, a booming genre this was again i think this was like a a first-time parody of it this was a comedy sci-fi and ironically in woody allen's whole collection this is his only deviation into sci-fi as a story narrative which again makes this movie stand out personally I find this movie very humorous. It's not one of my favorites personally, but I like this movie more for the set design and the visual gags 
than the actual humour and the story. There's just things that when I see Woody Allen playing this fish out of water, I mean, the first like 10 or 15 minutes, he's kind of nonsensical because he wakes up and there's this whole thing where he's just coming to grips on his mind again. He's the, the first scene is that when they when they like, bring him out of stasis and they, he's wearing foil. I mean, the things they do with this movie is just silly. Like to put him in stasis, they wrapped him in foil, which is just so silly and. When he wakes up, he's just nonsensical. He, he can't think and he's doing <laughs> a lot of physical slaps at humour. And the first 15 minutes of the movie is that. And that's kind of humorous. And there's a lot of physical um, comedy in this movie. But personally, I didn't get those belly laughs that I got out of Take the Money and Run and Bananas. This one, I just found more humorous initially. That's what I want to get into first. But what, what did you think of it before we get into the nitty to be honest with you, this isn't the first time I watched this movie, and it is right up there with one of my favorites. I, I fall into the genre trope in this case. Um, so far, out of all the uh, Woody Allen movies we watched, this is the one I enjoy the most. I really, really dig this movie. Nice. Um, it's funny that just last episode with uh, Everything You Want to Know About Sex, we talked about how uh, sci-fi was coming but uh, breaking the narrative and trying different things and, and going for the taboos was the way of uh, you know experimental filmmaking and innovators at the time to kind of test the waters it wasn't so much special effects yet but already with the next movie Woody Allen does a movie that's not only special effects driven but at the same time it still kind of uh, touches on a few taboos I mean just to even be you know uh, a nice compilation of tributes to some of his influences right from the start you can tell that he has really grown as a director at this point just from the credits the credits are you know very subtle there's classic jazz music recorded part by Woody Allen playing with a band as well as just listing the actors and the title of the film and that's a sign of confidence but as previous films there was always something to grab the audience immediately you know something to shock them like oh, you're, they're not gonna see this coming you know with take the money and run as the documentary style with bananas you have the live news report and then bullets flying all over the title screen with uh, everything you want to know about sex it was like oh, uh, this odd experimental little uh joke about bunnies with a yeah. soundtrack talking about misbehaving yeah. you know always something that Thing, uh, either bold or something that's really in your face very obvious to get your attention this movie's more confident it's just a black and white screen with music showcasing you the title and the actors and and that's really tells you that he felt good about this one and i think it's his most solid script to that point it has a beginning middle of the end it's more focused it stays on point and to me it's very very clever because the political commentary is back. I mean, he throws shade at Nixon. He throws shade at lazy liberals. He throws shade at dumb conservatives. I mean, what else is new? It's it, yeah. This movie couldn't have been made today. And it would probably still have the same message and the same impact. So it even ages very well. What do you think about that? <laughs> Let me jump in on something you, you mentioned there. Let me go back to that point you said about the intro. Now... That's a very good eye you got there, especially about the title card with the opening black screen with the credits. Now, this soon becomes a staple of Woody Allen. From Nearly from this point on, we get the iconic opening credit scene for Woody Allen, which is, as you mentioned, black screen, cast text, and that's it. Now, ironically, this what we see in this movie isn't 
quite there yet because I know, guys, I'm a fanboy. This is what I got in this detail. When we get into the next couple of movies, he perfects the opening title card and sticks with it to this very day. We're talking about 30, 40 years. He sticks to this one simple screen. And because I'm a fanboy, I do have to mention that the type font he uses, which is, to be honest with you, a Woody Allen iconic type font, is Windsor. Now, this font isn't exactly oh, Windsor. Really? Yeah, it's Windsor, but it's, we're not there yet. But this basically is the beta for that title card. And man, I know you're watching... Um, it's funny you bring up the credits as well. Because there's one name in the credits that blew me away. I saw a name in the credits that isn't really in the movie. It's not someone. It's actually someone behind the scenes. Simon, I saw someone that worked on this movie that maybe has worked on one of your favourite movies of all time. Did you catch this person in the credits, Simon? No. Uh, I, and I'll give you a clue. It's not an actor. Okay. Uh, there's there's plenty of iconic uh, people here. I mean, I'll give uh, you I'll give you a clue. I'm, I'll, I'll spin something. I'll give you a clue. Okay. It's one of your favorite superhero movies of all time. He's a director. Uh, you're trolling my ass. You. Were- <laughs> okay. Okay. I know this bit of trivia. I know it. See. Joel Schumacher, <laughs> before he did Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, which are not my favorite super- That's your favorite super- but, Come on, don't lie. That's your favorite Batman but, and Robin. Simon's favorite. Come on. Like, what I do don't, don't like is that people associate Joel Schumacher with those two movies exclusively. I'm like, he did a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And in the beginning of his career, he did a lot of writing for movies like The Wizard. Yeah. You know, which, again, is, a, is, is, is an odd classic and yeah. it's a flawed classic in its own right but he started off as costume design on this movie which yeah. uh little side trivia for you the little uh burn they gave him in the batman animated series where he was portrayed as a little kid working in a fashion store that's where this originates from because he did costume design on this movie. this is the create of the bat nipples of course it's a costume design yes <laughs> that's his you know he's still yeah, got that to this day isn't it odd that's how you get into the film film business you do anything you can before yeah. you write before you direct yeah. you do costumes anything to get on set yeah he's credited in the movie well spotted well I think at this point, everybody at home is like, but could you talk about the damn film already? Come on, guys. This is trivia. This is amazing trivia. Come on. What do you add? Yeah. Thank you for the font, by the way. I I wouldn't have slept well if I wouldn't know which was the perfect font that hasn't been used yet. You know, I I needed to know the difference. So thank you for pointing that out. But anyway, (laughs) so everybody at this point is like, okay, this just sounds like the same movie he did already. A, a, A fish out of water comedy. He's probably, you know, slightly sarcastic, uh, a, a guy who got into this weird situation that he's unprepared for, meek, a little bit shy, sexually frustrated. What's different here? Why does this movie work better? And to put it bluntly, uh, it's Diane Keaton as the female lead. Yes. Bordy Ellen found a real muse that is just the glue in the whole machine. Yeah. All the scenes that usually go on too long or get, the joke runs out of steam and it's just become silly she energizes all those they have beautiful chemistry together i mean it's really really one of the great duos of in in film in the history of film they once you see this movie you know exactly what we're talking about i know they played alongside each other and played against sam but this time it's woody allen writing the script for her and it, it really shows the difference and you can tell they really had fun making this movie because they just have a very natural 
chemistry that lifts the dialogue. Even if the dialogue is not Woody Allen's best, it still comes off great in this film and really helps sell the silly nature of, you know, a 70s film that's set in the distant future with a bunch of robots and other machinery and futuristic tech that obviously, you know, they didn't have the means to produce something along the lines of Star Wars later on because they didn't push for those groundbreaking effects. But I'll give you this. If you're worried about, oh, is the movie going to look awful? Is it going to look dated? The good thing about practical effects is something's actually in front of the camera. And that really works in the film's favor. I think they were challenged in a lot of scenes to make things look futuristic. They used a lot of real architecture and real buildings from places like Denver and it still looks good. It's not like an outdated CGI sequence that looked good at the time, but now looks awful. The movie ages pretty well. I said that in the beginning that the design, the, the set design, and just the visual gags are the to me stand out the most. I mean, when you see that futuristic place that Woody Allen's in, when you see the cars, the movement, even the gags. There's one gag I want to take out in particular. There's one gag. Well, actually, there's there's a lot of visual gags, even with the costume design. Right, let me get to the the big one, which is Woody Allen. There's a there's a middle part in the movie, and I don't want to get into too much minutia because I don't actually want to ruin this movie. Sure. There's sure. a part where Woody Allen has to dress up as a robot to kind of evade his uh, his pursuit. It's a disguise. He disguised himself as a robot. It's an iconic Woody Allen moment. There's this clip alone on YouTube. It's got quite a lot of views on it. And again, it, when you see the European DVD, that picture's on the boxer, even though that's only like the, what, 10, 15 minutes of the movie. Just him in that in the costume, which looks really, fu- I think it looks really good, by the way. And just him, that whole chase he does when they're trying to take off his head and trying to, you know, change him out because Diane Keaton sends him out. That bit's awesome. The, the other gags I want to mention is there's a gag where him and Diane Keaton are on the run and she kind of makes him wear this inflatable giant suit and then it blows up <laughs> and then he's jumping around yeah. in the suit and they're trying to chase him. It's very, very funny. And then that bit's funny alone, just seeing Woody Allen jump really high in the suit. But then later, he ends up kind of being a boat, like a rocket boat for him and Diane Keaton go across the, the like a river really, really fast. It goes, it's just... Man, and even there's a bit where Woody Allen's got this like flying propeller. He's trying to fly. I can't fly. I can't fly. They spent a lot of money on the gags here, which I found really endearing. And the actually the biggest piece of trivia that makes me geek out the most about this movie. I did mention that this is the only science fiction movie Woody Allen really did in his collection or whatever. He got the god of science fiction. The god of science fiction writers, Isaac Asimov, to basically guide him in making this movie. He didn't know anything about sci-fi. He went to the god of sci-fi, the guy who wrote the laws of robotics, to actually, hey, what am I doing wrong? What can I do to make this movie grounded in sci-fi? And he met Isaac Asimov. I mean, I don't think there's, there's a lot of science fiction directors that wish they got to consult Isaac Asimov, the god of science fiction to help you write a science fiction story and I know this is a goof and it's a parody but as a science fiction fan myself it's mind blowing I don't even think I don't know if Isaac Adamoff even got involved in Star Trek so for Woody Allen to consult him and to get him on board to help him make this movie is fucking amazing oh yeah and uh that's another great thing about this one that the sci-fi elements even though sometimes they're played for laughs and jokes 
it's very well thought out. I mean, everything kind of you can see it developing. A lot of things develop that way already, present day. So nothing really is crazy about the movie in a sense where it's very detached from reality and it's just an odd idea that you couldn't see function in real life. Everything's very grounded. I mean, that's why I like this movie so much. I like this movie, but there's actually some really weird things about their thoughts on the future. Now, obviously, <laughs> it's, I found this very amusing. Really? You... Yeah. Watch, just hear me out, because guys, listen, you're going to think, what's he got to say? What's I'm going to say here? Now, when you go back and watch these movies, you know, everyone's got their own idea of the, the future, the 2000s. Any movie, even if you go back to 1990 with Dem Demolition Man, they thought, you know, the 2000s were going to be all peaceful and dressed in white. I mean, they all have these ideas. But one thing I was watching this movie, I felt like it tried to have the best of both worlds. And this is my example. When Woody Allen meets a dying key and character, she's this socialite. And basically, everything they're doing is this weird hippie hipsterish lifestyle they're talking about art they're getting high off metal balls they're talking about you know sex in a very liberated way sex machines and they're all very laser cool and very you know unestablishment and it's very i was like this is very hippie hippie-ish for a futuristic movie why that's a very interesting i thought it's a very interesting interpretation of what they think the future is going to be because they were hippies in the future essentially which is really funny yeah well yeah i mean the movie setup for Tone in the sequence where Woody Allen's character regains his senses, he re starts realizing what happened to him, and uh, the doctors who woke him up go through a couple of historical images with him, and it's it's a long sequence of jokes of him, you know, making certain comments about historical figures from the 70s. But essentially, you get the basic idea that all the political problems they faced in the 70s escalated into what happens in the future and why things went a certain way i mean he makes some brilliant jokes about the nra the national rifles association he calls it a a, a public service that helped criminals uh, get guns so they can shoot civilians i mean come on that's still common and that, that, that is funny it was funny. The, the, another great joke was he there was this prominent figure back in the day who was like the head of uh america some association for teachers and teachers rights yeah he's the guy who gets the nuclear bomb and basically derails the world so that's woody on's commentary on teachers and it, it it's you really have to watch the movie because the dialogue's great but it's very yeah. funny and it's very relevant so that whole sequence of a group of you know socialite liberals who just want to sit around and talk about art and how sophisticated they are and they're so detached and getting high off their metal balls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It, 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 it's a big jab. The, the whole movie yeah. is a big jab of 70s LA, sure. California, Hollywood. When they flew out Woody Allen over there and he saw what all these people were talking, having these intense debates about Marx and Picasso and art and modern art and what it means to be an artist. And he's like, yo, we got a war, the Soviet Union, people are starving, dictators. Sure, you guys don't have bigger issues to debate than uh, what, what, what's the latest What's the latest art to burn? Like, uh, I, I feel so I feel so detached from reality. I need to burn a few beautiful pictures to feel pain. So I can <laughs> liberate it. It's like it's it, it really it it's great. I mean, it's it's very politically aware, 
very clever, very observant, and that's what helps anchor the movie in reality. When you go to this futuristic world, you see still see the same patterns of behavior, and you're like, I can definitely see things going this way because people already doing these dumb things. When it gets into Big Brother watching you and the, the, the leader, as they refer to him, not president, but leader, being this larger-than-life figure who's basically a reality show star. Like, tell me where you heard that before. I mean... This movie, rewatching it right now, was a proper treat. It was a, it was a real joy. There's, there's some clever tribute stuff. I mean, one of the early concepts for this film was that speaking would be a privilege in the future. So it was their gimmick to make a silent film because they love the silent film. Element. They love Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton. So there are some chase sequences here where it's nothing but music. There's a clear lack of dialogue and sound effects that pay yeah. tribute to that. And to me... That, those are the, the the weaker parts of the film just because it's oh, really? a movie complete. Yeah, yeah, because the film's not about tension. It's not an action film by any stretch of the no, imagination. No way, no it's a way. full-on comedy. Hmm. You know, you're never supposed to, you know, feel friend by what's going to happen to the heroes, who's going to get caught. There's no real consequence to that. So when you do these goofy chase sequences, it's kind of like it's just filler. It, it becomes a little bit filler. As they go along, they get more innovative with the futuristic elements that yeah. help a lot yeah and but but it, it just still you don't have the tension and there, then, there was this running gag by the way of the guys that were chasing with the end in the red the guys in the red suits oh, every, the two badasses with the, the yeah that's that don't even spoil that they're just two badasses that always show up two military people that have this brilliant idea that they're so freaking badass they need a <laughs> rocket launcher to take care of the situation and it is, it's terrific. I love oh, that. I guy. was going to spoil it, but you're right. But that, that was just really stood out to me. And you know, I do want to go back and say, I'm, you know, I am basically in love with Diane Keaton. I've always been in love with her because just seeing her in this movie, and I know you said this in the beginning, but I have to give my 10 pence here. She has a sure, life. Sure, everybody and, has to. She has a life and an energy in this movie that, to be honest with you, even female actresses today don't show that. I know we got female comedy actresses today that are pushing it now, but a lot of them, a lot of the female actresses I see today are just comedians that just tell jokes. They don't get physical. And Diane Keaton in this movie gets physical. She's kind of silly. It was a scene where she even tries to swing a rope like a Tarzan and she just hits the tree and falls. I mean, would, women wouldn't subject themselves to that kind of thing without feeling, you know, foolish or or embarrassed and i like the fact she just she goes all in and to be honest with you she's you know she's purposefully annoying she's screaming with you i know get away but she does it in not an annoying way it's really fun and you know even though woody Allen has to save her in the end and they form this weird romance it kind of go back and forth because because diane keaton has to save him at the end and bring him back in the fold and their back and forth was great diane keaton is just to me she she's not the start of the show but she steals the show for me because you know, we've seen Woody Allen play this character many times. He's the same kind of guy, even though it's a fish out of war. That's fine. Yeah, basically the last three movies he did. Yeah. Directed himself. And even uh, played against Sam. He's basically very similar. He's a jacked up version of this. An yeah. amplified version of this. But seeing Diane Keaton get to express her whimsical silliness openly and naturally. It doesn't seem forced. It doesn't seem like she's just doing what the director's telling her. It seems completely natural. And this is something we will see her doing again and again in a, in these movies. That's why Woody Allen became so enamored of her on the personal level, even though their romantic relationship in real life kind of ended at this point, they still maintain a personal, sorry, a professional relationship that went on and they just, their movies keep on getting better and better as we see. 
And to be honest with you, there's not much more I can say about it. It's the only negative, because I have to be critical. The only thing I didn't, I can't say I didn't love about the movie, is the laughs weren't laugh out loud. Again, I just found it, it was, con- it was consistently humorous for me. But it was, they never had that, the, <laughs> that one gag that really blew me out. And the ending, it was a little bit, eh. I mean, it, 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 it ends on this big gag, this big reveal with a big boss. And I thought it could have been a bit funny. I thought so, it was building to something. At the end, it was kind of like, they kind of wrote off the end and like, eh, da, 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 da. but at the end of the day, it isn't a story that's not telling. Like you said, it's not a real big hero story. It's kind of another collection of, collection of comedy bits. But unlike the other ones, it actually feels like there is a... a, a, a a base narrative here that works a lot better than before. So I'm not going to say it was comedy sketches put together like I've said in the past. I will say that I do feel like the ending didn't bring it home for me or the bigger message than I thought it should. But to be honest with you, it wasn't really about the ending anyway. It was about generally the journey. This was movie was all about the journey, all about the chemistry be- between Woody Allen and Diane Keaton. And uh, the only other thing I can say, as a black man, I noticed this as well. There's one funny scene where Woody Allen is actually coming onto a black woman very aggressively. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the finest woman in the whole movie, I may add. I mean, she was fire. I said this before, Woody Allen's with black people, but again, Woody Allen had no problem coming onto this black woman at a party. It was really funny. And again, to be sorry, but just to add, yeah. to be fair to Woody Allen, you see black people all the time in this movie to make sure that he stated that. Don't worry. I think there should be black people in the future. Because in the 70s, that was still questionable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're getting back to that point where people are, are kind of hinting at, like, you know, maybe we should get rid of a few races, you know, make some room yeah. in the world. But in the 70s, that was still a very val- valid political narrative. And now they try to bring it back. They're trying to bring back that greatest. I'm going to highlight the diversity when I see it. And I'm going to give Woody Allen props when I see it. And again, I, again, I'm watching these movies again. And I didn't really think he actually had a lot of multicultural you know people in the in these movies multicultural actors in the movie but now i see that he's done more than most of his time if you ask me and you know it's always natural doesn't seem like a token it always seems natural so i'm gonna give woody allen props not just one there's a few black people in this movie which i noticed so which is awesome so more props to the movie but overall there's not much more i can say about the movie i enjoyed it i could see why this is a fan favorite diane keaton woody allen's chemistry just kills it i love the set design on a whole and i definitely i definitely enjoyed this a lot more than everything you always want to know about set. Blah, blah, blah. i definitely enjoyed this was a big step up and it's a favorite for a lot of people so i guess most of you guys are not surprised and i know actually there were some people in the comment section of our things that actually was waiting for us to get to this one so wow okay yeah i mean i don't have a lot, lot to add to that i already voiced the, the one bit that i didn't like which is the some of the early uh, chase sequences are just kind of filler. When they get more creative and involve more futuristic stuff, it, it gets a lot better. And Diane Keaton, the one when she enters the movie, it, it's terrific. Uh, I'm very biased. This is my type of movie, my type of uh, commentary and dialogue. I had a lot of big laughs. I mean, just when he said, you know, after Nixon left the White House, you have to count the silverware. I mean, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is great. I really, I'm gonna just go wrap this up. The the movie's perfect for me. If if you like this type of humor and like and like clever Woody Allen dialogue that references reality, that references real issues, but does it in a very creative way and 
and just with just the right amount of sarcasm, then you'll enjoy this movie as well. And what I really respect about him that he's a he has an eye for detail. He's a perfectionist. So even though he's not a sci-fi director, it doesn't matter because he knew that whatever he did had to be on point. So all the sets are very well designed. All the ideas are very well developed. How would it work in real life? How how would how would this practically function? How would it be designed in a, in a practical way? Same with the sets. He got a lot of brilliant architects at the time. Yes. You know, at the time, you know, paintings, sculptures, uh, architecture were big. You know, it was big in pop culture. It was a slightly more sophisticated intellectual pop culture than we have today. Uh, it, it wasn't just limited so much to, you know, games and film and music. It, it was more inclusive. And you can definitely tell how much that benefited the movie. I mean, Woody Allen has seen all the Bond films at this point and yeah. the amazing set design they had there. So incorporating real architects and people that knew what they were doing benefited the movie immensely, even the real life locations. It, it's just a very well-made film. Even the choices he made to edit, you can sometimes kind of guess that, hey, the, this was a big jump in narrative. Maybe the movie was longer originally even those were for the for the better the movie doesn't drag it flows well it completes the story ace job i really really recommend this one if if you had doubts from any of the previous ones like oh maybe i'm not really into woody allen maybe i should you know drop off uh, this this one should bring you around even if you're not gonna be a super fanboy i think you 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 at least he will at least earn a little bit of your respect well, Simon, I don't really think you have to sell people on this movie because, again, like I said in the very beginning, this is a fan favourite. This is one of the Woody Allen movies that it seems to be easily accessible, well known to the public in general. If you go and look on Rotten Tomatoes IMDb, the audience scores are very high. This is in the highest... Well, actually, they look kind of weird. The scores are very high on Rotten Tomatoes. On IMDb, it's in the mid-sevens, high eights. But to be honest with you, I know as a fan, and looking at the consensus, reading reviews and all that, generally this is one of the most beloved Woody Allen movies across the board not my, one of my personal favorites because I'm more of the serious type for Woody Allen fan movies but sure definitely one of the better comedies that I will not contest at all so the only thing I've got to say to wrap this up is obviously I've always got my line of the movie now ironically most movies well I don't know most directors or writers they want their very last line in the movie to be very memorable and in in this particular case, the last line of this movie is my line in the movie. It's a little bit self-deprecating, and I know Simon doesn't really like that. <laughs> so he, <laughs> he says, um, well, I'm paraphrasing again. He says, him and Diana Keaton are in a car, whatever. He says, sex and death, two things that come once in a lifetime. But at least after death, you're not nauseous. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's typical. I'm surprised you find that funny. I thought you would hate that. It's very self-deprecating. And ironically, I think it's very ironic he starts with sex and death, as I believe the next movie we're going to talk about is called Love and Death. So he, he, he actually made a grandiose statement, and his next movie, he must have thought that's going to be the theme of my next movie, which ironically is going to be Love and Death. So I don't know if that's where he was going with that. Yeah, things are getting heavy, people. Yeah. We already had one, two, three or five movies about you know love and peril either personal peril or in this case peril of the freedom of the world so if he actually incorporates it in the title who knows where the movie's gonna go then i'm looking forward to the next one but uh before we sign out guys i do want to say 
I have to give a major shout out to again Woody Allen Page's Watcher's Guide. Guys, you can get this for cheap as chips. I mean, you can get this for a cup of Starbucks coffee. It's like three or four dollars, guys, and you get so much behind the scenes information on these movies guys i'll put a link in the description i highly recommend checking this out for the woody allen fans even non-fans i find this very interesting it's very supplemental even helps us i even speak to the guy on the woody allen pages we go back and forth in conversation uh i want to give a shout out to the reddit guys as well the woody allen subreddit thank you and you know the fan pages get a lot of good feedback on the podcast i'm glad you guys are enjoying it and uh I've got to thank my co-host Simon to, you know, continue joining me on this retrospective. Thank you very much, sir. This one was a pleasure, man. I love this film. So it was very good. I actually forgot how, how much I like it. So thank you. Great. That's good to hear, guys. And if you're on YouTube, don't forget to leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Do you enjoy the movie? Do you have a different opinion than us? You know, give us an iTunes review. Let us know what you think on iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe. We've got a Woody Allen playlist. If this is your first video, we've we've covered all the ones in the past and we're moving on to the future. We've got a lot of content to cover. So on that note, we're going to get the hell out of here and we'll see you on the next discussion. Peace.